Chapter 8 Of the Moon Men by Edgar Rice Burroughs This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker Chapter 8 I Horsewhip an Officer We passed days of mental anguish, hearing nothing, knowing nothing. And then one evening a single cash guard rode up to Father's house. Juana and I were there with Mother. The fellow dismounted and knocked at the door a most unusual courtesy from one of these. He entered at my bidding, and stood there a moment looking at Mother. He was only a lad, a big, overgrown boy, and there were neither cruelty in his eyes nor the mark of the beast in any of his features. His mother's blood evidently predominated, and he was unquestionably not all Kalkar. Presently he spoke. "'Which is Julian the Eighth's woman?' he asked but he looked at Mother as though he already guessed. "'I am,' said Mother. The lad shuffled his feet and caught his breath. It was like a stifled sob. "'I am sorry,' he said, "'that I bring you such sad news.' And then we guessed that the worst had happened. "'The mines?' Mother asked him, and he nodded affirmatively. Ten years!' he exclaimed as one might announce a sentence of death, for such it was. He never had a chance, he volunteered. It was a terrible thing. They are beasts. I could not but show my surprise that a cash guard should speak so of his own kind, and he must have seen it in my face. We are not all beasts, he hastened to exclaim. I commenced to question him then, and I found that he had been a sentry at the door during the trial, and had heard at all. There had been but one witness, the man who had informed on Father, and Father had been given no chance to make any defense. I asked him who the informer was. I am not sure of the name, he replied. He was a tall, stoop-shouldered man. I think I heard him called Peter. But I had known even before I asked. I looked at Mother and saw that she was dry-eyed and that her mouth had suddenly hardened into a firmness of expression such as I had never dreamed it could assume. "'Is that all?' she asked. "'No,' replied the youth. "'It is not. I am instructed to notify you that you have thirty days to take another man or vacate these premises.' And then he took a step toward Mother. "'I am sorry, madam,' he said. "'It is very cruel, but... What are we to do? It becomes worse each day. Now they are grinding down even the cash guard, so that there are many of us who... But he stopped suddenly, as though realizing he was on the point of speaking treason to strangers. And turning on his heel, he quit the house, and a moment later was galloping away. I expected Mother to break down then, but she did not. She was very brave. But there was a new and terrible expression in her eyes. Those eyes that had shone forth always with love. Now they were bitter, hate-filled eyes. She did not weep. I wish to God she had. Instead, she did that which I had never known her to do before. She laughed aloud. Upon the slightest pretext, or upon no pretext at all, she laughed. We were afraid for her. The suggestion dropped by the cash guard started in my mind a train of thought, of which I spoke to Mother and Juana and after that mother seemed more normal for a while, as though I had aroused hope, however feeble, where there had been no hope before. 
I pointed out that if the cash guard was dissatisfied, the time was ripe for revolution. For if we could get only a part of them to join us, there would surely be enough of us to overthrow those who remain loyal to the flag. Then we would liberate all prisoners and set up a republic of our own, such as the ancients had had. It took time to develop my plan. I talked with everyone I could trust, and found them all willing to join me when we had enough. In the meantime, I cared for my own place, and father's as well. I was very busy, and time flew rapidly. About a month after father was taken away, I came home one day with Juana, who had accompanied me upriver in search of a goat that had strayed. We had found its carcass, or rather its bones, where the hellhounds had left them. Mother was not at our house, where she now spent most of her time, so I went over to father's to get her. As I approached the door, I heard sounds of an altercation and scuffling that made me cover the few remaining yards at a rapid run. Without waiting to knock, as Mother had taught me always to do, I burst into the living room to discover Mother in the clutches of Peter Johansson. She was trying to fight him off, but he was forcing her slowly toward her bedroom, for he was a large and powerful man. He heard me just as I leaped for him and turning grappled with me. He tried to hold me off with one hand, then, while he drew his knife. But I struck him in the face with one fist, and knocked him from me way across the room. He was up again in an instant, bleeding from nose and mouth, and back at me with his knife in his hand, slashing furiously. Again I struck him and knocked him down, and when he rose and came again, I seized his knife hand and tore the weapon from him. He had no slightest chance against me, and he saw it soon, for he commenced to back away and beg for mercy. Kill him, Julian, said Mother. Kill the murderer of your father. I did not need her appeal to influence me, for the moment that I had seen Peter there, I knew my long-awaited time had come to kill him. He commenced to cry then. Great tears ran down his cheeks, and he bolted for the door and tried to escape. It was my pleasure to play with him as a cat plays with a mouse. I kept him from the door, seizing him and hurling him bodily across the room and then I let him reach the window through which he tried to crawl, and I permitted him to get so far that he thought he was about to escape, and then I seized him again and dragged him back to the floor, and lifting him to his feet I made him fight. I struck him lightly in the face many times, and then I laid him on his back across the table, and kneeling on his chest I spoke to him softly. You had my friend, old Samuels, murdered, and my father too, and now you come to befoul my mother. What did you expect, swine, but this? Have you no intelligence? You must have known that I would kill you. Speak! They said they would get you today, he whimpered. They lied to me. They went back on me. They told me that you would be in the pen at the barracks before noon. Damn them, they lied to me! So, that was how it was, hey? and the lucky circumstance of the strayed goat had saved me to avenge my father and succor my mother. But they would come yet. I must hurry, or they might come before I was through. And so I took his head between my hands and bent his neck far back over the edge of the table until I heard his spine part. And that was the end of the vilest traitor who ever lived, one who professed friendship openly and secretly conspired to ruin us. In broad daylight, I carried his body to the river and threw it in. I was past caring what they knew. They were coming for me, and they would have their way with me, whether they had any pretext or not. But they would have to pay a price for me. That I determined. 
and I got my knife and strapped it in its scabbard about my waist beneath my shirt. But they did not come. They had lied to Peter, just as they lie to everyone. The next day was market day and tax day, so I went to market with the necessary goats and produce to make my trades and pay my taxes. As Sewer passed around the marketplace, making his collections, or rather his levies, for we had to deliver the stuff to his place ourselves, I saw from the excited conversation of those in his wake that he was spreading alarm and consternation among the people of the commune. I wondered what it might all be about. Nor had I long to wait to discover, for he soon reached me. He could neither read nor write, but he had a form furnished by the government upon which were numbers that the agents were taught how to read, and which stood for various classes of produce, livestock, and manufactures. In columns beneath these numbers, he made marks during the month for the amount of my trades in each item. It was all crude, of course, and inaccurate, but as they always overcharged us and then added something to make up for any errors they might have made to our credit, the government was satisfied, even if we were not. Being able to read and write, as well as to figure, I always knew to a dot just what was due from me in tax, and I always had an argument with Sewer, from which government emerged victorious every time. This month I should have owed him one goat, but he demanded three. How is that? I asked. Under the old rate you owed me the equivalent of a goat and a half, but since the tax had been doubled under the new law, you owe me three goats. Then it was I knew the cause of the excitement in other parts of the marketplace. How do you expect us to live if you take everything from us? I asked. The government does not care whether you live or not he replied, as long as you pay taxes while you do live. I will pay the three goats, I said, because I have to. But next market day, I will bring you a present of the hardest cheese I can find. He did not say anything, for he was afraid of me unless he was surrounded by cash guards. But he looked ugly. The commander of the cash guard company must have noticed the crowd around us, for he rode straight toward me alone. I would not give him the satisfaction of thinking that I feared him, and so I stood there waiting. The officer reined in before me. What are you doing here? he barked. Minding my own business, as you had better do, I replied. You swine are becoming insufferable, he cried. Get to your pen where you belong. I will stand for no mobs and no insolence. I just stood there looking at him. But there was murder in my heart. He loosened the bullhide whip that hung at the pommel of his saddle. "'You have to be driven, do you?' He was livid with sudden anger and his voice almost a scream. Then he struck at me, a vicious blow with the heavy whip, struck at my face. I dodged the lash and seized it, wrenching it from his puny grasp. And then I caught his bridle, and though his horse plunged and fought, I lashed the rider with all my strength a dozen times before he tumbled from the saddle to the trampled earth of the marketplace. Then his men were upon me, and I went down from a blow on the head. They bounded my hands while I was unconscious, and then hustled me roughly into a saddle. I was half-dazed during the awful ride that ensued. We rode to the military prison at the barracks, and all the way that fiend of a captain rode beside me and lashed me with his bullhide whip. End of chapter 8